Last week, I, I brought a message all about the latter rains and the spiritual, physical, and prophetic significance of those passages in the Bible and that word. And so I want to branch off of that like a shoot off of the root of the stump of Jesse, right? Micah 4. I want to uh, I want to begin with with a logic problem, if you would. We know that the Holy Spirit is God. And if you desire then to be a man of God, you desire then to be a man of the Holy Spirit. If Holy Spirit is God, and you desire to be a man of God, you are then desiring to be a man of His Spirit. If you are a woman who desires to be a woman of God, if Holy Spirit is God, then you must desire to be a woman of the Holy Spirit. And you cannot separate that from your call. You must be filled with His Spirit. And you must be of His Spirit. And you must be a man or a woman of Holy Spirit. He's the, the head. He is the Godhead. He is God. He is the creative one. He is the creator. We sang about how He hovered over the waters. He was there. He is the Word that brought forth the Son of Man. He is the Word that brought forth the miraculous Son of Man. He is God. We cannot just be a man who knows God. We have to be a man of the Holy Spirit. We cannot just be a woman who knows the Word, but a woman full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Go to Micah 4. This passage was copy and pasted by the Holy Spirit before that could even happen. It actually was spoken of exactly verbatim to another prophet, Isaiah. In chapter 2 of Isaiah, you can actually read it. But Micah got the exact same thing from the Holy Spirit and a little bit more. Micah 4, verse 1 through 4 is where we're at. If you want to read the same exact thing that Isaiah got. It's Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Here's Micah. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of all the mountains, and it shall be lifted above the hills, and people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples. He shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift sword up against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig. And no one shall make them afraid. 
For the mouth of the Lord of angel armies has spoken. And this is the addendum. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is Micah 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days. There's a, there's a latter rain. This will be physically fulfilled by Jesus in the latter days. And that when he sets up his kingdom, a, a natural kingdom with a supernatural people and a supernatural king, <laughs> he will make heaven and earth finally one and all the earth will be filled with his glory. But how does he do it? He does it by reigning in Jerusalem. This is called the millennial reign of Christ. And he will establish his ways to nations far away, including our own. And that is when the earth will fully know the prince of peace because they will put up their weapons of warfare and learn his ways. Brandy brought on Wednesday, the Lord told us that let me teach you my ways. This is where that's coming from. That, that is already spiritually a prophetic word for the latter days. That there will be a people from all nations, and yet we have seen it happening. It's the church of God. It's the body of Christ. There will be a people of all nations that go to Mount Zion, the spiritual mountain of God, and we are seeking to know His ways. We want to know His righteousness. We have his righteousness, we're clothed in it, but we seek to know his ways of righteousness. That means, how would you do this? How would you say this? How would you fix this? How would you enact this? How would you judge this? The way that Jesus laughs is the right way to laugh. <laughs> the way that Jesus prays is the right way to pray. You would probably agree with me there. The way that Jesus judges cases is the right way to judge a case. The way that Jesus would be mayor of the city is the right way to be the mayor of the city. You, you can say it in those terms, but it comes down to the practicals of knowing his righteousness. Everything that he does, how he disciplines his children, how he loves his wife, how he is a father is the right way to do these things. That's his righteousness. And we go to his mountain in faith, the mountain of God, Mount Zion. In Hebrews, it says that we have come to Zion, to the city of the living God. We've already come. We're not waiting for this to be fulfilled in the spirit realm because it's already been fulfilled in the spirit realm. We're waiting for this to be fulfilled in the flesh. In the same way that we're waiting for our physical bodies to be resurrected and made alive in the glorious body of Christ, we wait for that day. Well, this is part of that wait in the flesh. But in Hebrews it says, but you've already come to Zion, to the city of the living God, and to an innumerable country of company of angels because of a blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Whose blood is that? Jesus. His righteousness upon me allows me to go in, but yet I'm seeking a greater righteousness, a greater way. I'm not settling for the ways that I know. I'm settling for a better way. I'm settling for a more pure way, the righteousness of God. All peoples walk in the name of our God. I think we've sang that song. I don't know what song that is. Um, 
But verse 5, for all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. We recently, some time ago, <laughs> did all the names of the Lord God as a refuge, as a fortress. Do you remember that? When you have encounters that, with the name of God and who he is, you can walk in that. Right? Some of us own our last names. Some of us don't like our last names. But you walk in what you own. Right? My sister, she, you know, was born a hill. And when she was little, I asked her, do you like your last name? She said, no. I don't like being a hill. I think it's boring. I said, well, you're the only one that can change it. <laughs> That's true. We, I have a brother and a sister. My brother and I can't change my last name. I have to own it. But my sister could. But there's a verse. For he who overcomes, I will give him a new name. Written on a white stone that only he knows. It's the name that I give to you, Jesus says. He has named you after his own. He has named you for those who called upon his name and said yes to him. He redeems even those things about us, right? I'm, some of you are thinking of a Johnny Cass song, right? A boy named Sue, right? He redeems it. He redeems those people. He redeems it. I know some of you are singing it. Haggai. Haggai chapter 2. Name him Frank or Bob or anything but Sue. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. For reference. Chapter 2, we read this last week, so we're in verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This has been partially fulfilled and that the Prince of Peace did step foot into this actual temple, the one that he's talking about, the one that they were building, the second temple of the Jews in Jerusalem. He did step into it and he did bring peace by his own body. But then he said, I have built up the temple. Who said that? Jesus said, I will raise this temple in three days. So there's another temple, a third temple. Who is that temple? It's us. We are the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the living God. And so in the same way that I will shake once more, the latter glory of this new temple will be greater than the former. Why not right now? Why not with you? Somebody's going to believe it. Somebody's going to do it. The bride of Christ will be made ready. You have to decide whether you want to believe that or not. Somebody will. He is looking for a people young to old. Right? When did Abraham start his ministry? When did he believe? 80. When did Moses start his ministry? 80. When did Caleb get his 
reward for walking around in the wilderness for 40 years. 80 years old, 85 years old. Caleb, he said, I still have as much strength as when I started this. One generation. It's not just for the young ones, but it is for the young ones. You can't dismiss them. They are a part of the fire of God. On your young men and on your young women, I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord. But yet your old men and your old women will dream dreams and have visions. One generation of that has been fulfilled. Yes, because who said that? Peter did. The Holy Spirit came upon him. This is a fulfillment of Joel 2. But yet there's a shaking that will bring the latter glory that will be greater than the former glory. Do you believe? Yeah. Hosea 6, we talked about this last week. Hosea 6. At the beginning, 1 through 3, we have talked about how God does bless us in the physical, but with rain, actual rain. We, we apply this principle in our land all the time because we have to have rain. The Great Plains rely upon the seasons of rain. We're not the Pacific Northwest that this doesn't apply much to. Right. Here is Hosea 6, 1. The come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. And then it changes in this passage to a spiritual sense. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. This has nothing to do with actual physical Rain. The latter rain is a spiritual principle revealed here by Hosea. Let us know him. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out to us is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains, and as the latter rains on the earth. Amen. He will come to us as a shower. We're talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, coming to us as a rain, as a latter rain. This can be applied in your life yearly. This can be applied in your life in your seasons, that as you came before, you come again. As you pour upon me at this time, you will come again unto me at this time. This can be applied in your family's journey that you always know the Lord comes to us at this time. This is a day that the Lord comes to us. This is a day that he always shows himself to us. There should be these times in your life of remembrance of what God does and when he does it and how he does it. And it's when I see this sign or when I see this symbol, it reminds me of when God pours out his spirit on me and how he'll do it again. But then there's also corporate times of spring rains and fall rains, of former rains and latter rains, of a corporate house, of a church over a city, the church of San Angelo. The church over Laodicea, the church over Thyatira, those types of, there are corporate reigns and outpourings of the Spirit, and then there are state, and then there are national. And what are we believing for? <laughs> Whatever he's asking us to pray, but we are believing for local, state, 
and national. And that's why we are praying. And that's what we're praying about. That's why we're gathering in twos and threes. This is what we're praying for, the latter rains. Another wave of latter rains. This is the focus. This is the vision of our prayers. Twos and threes, pray over this. The latter rains come. The season of rains, the outpouring of God, the move of the Holy Spirit. That's what our house is doing. That's the prayer movement that we're doing right now. Yes? Let's go to 2 Corinthians. This spiritual outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon your life is his breath. It's his oil. (laughs) It's his hands of the Holy Spirit. It's the sevenfold spirit of God. And the life that you live is the divine life of the spirit. We were born. We all have an individual spirit that God birthed. It says that God is the father of all spirits. But yet we had been died and needed regeneration. (laughs) But yet somehow we're living. It's, It's a paradox that doesn't make sense. How can your spirit be dead and not alive in Christ and needs regeneration, but yet you're walking around alive? Because when somebody actually passes away, you know the spirit of that person leaves them. And so there was this paradox. And when the Holy Spirit regenerated you, when you made Jesus Christ Lord and Master, what you have to realize is that he didn't just give you your life back. He put his own life in you. It's not that he just gave you your, your life back. It says that now I'm going to put my life in you. And you are using my own life to live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm not using his power to live. I am living only because of him. I am alive only because his life is in me. Because Jesus came to bring you life and life abundantly. John 10.10. Are you in 2 Corinthians? Chapter 4. This is part of how the latter rain comes is a revelation of the divine life that you live in Christ Jesus. A revelation of the divine life in Christ Jesus. Around here we often talk about until you have full revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory, that you would walk out and step out of the soulish realm and into the spiritual realm. That you would walk out of putting gates in front of the spirit by your soul and allowing him to bust through certain gates of your soul and not just letting you live by the spirit of his life. Does this make sense? I can block the Holy Spirit with my soul, your mind, your will, your emotion, in allowing him to not infiltrate or influence or emphasize or work in this section of my heart, in my will, in my emotions, in my life. I put a gate there. You block it off. That's that soulish realm. But I'll let you do it here. Or I'll let you do it here. But the true revival, the true awakening, the true latter rain is that that Holy Spirit busts through that and you have a revelation of Christ in me, the hope of glory. I live not because of what I want to do, but because Christ is giving me his own life and I live through his spirit alone. That is the revelation 
of the latter rain, of what he does and how he does it. That's the Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're in verse 8 through 11 of 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. This is the apostles. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying the bod- in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Okay. Why do these tie together? The last verse that we read was Hosea 6, 1 through 3. And Hosea 6, 1 through 3, it says that when I press on to know the Lord, let us press on to know him and to know his ways, and he will come to me as the latter rains and the spring rains. Did you get that? As I press on to know him. The before that, in Haggai 6, it says that when you are shaken, I will shake the nations. When you are shaken, I will shake the nation, and the gold will be mine. The glory of God will be greater than the former. Do you remember that? Now here we hear how this believer in the faith, this apostle, this leader of our faith, is shaken. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. The shakings of God feel like this. The shakings of God do this to the soul. The shakings of God deliver your soul from these things. Why? Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So that the divine life of Christ may be revealed to you. So I talked about last week that you're going to maybe feel a shaking soon. Your state may be feeling a shaking soon. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, I don't know. But the point of it is to remind you, last week we talked about when the latter rains come, when a farmer sees fall rains, he knows he's got a lot of grain to bring in. That means it's time to get to work. Latter rains doesn't bring in the harvest. Latter rains tells the, har- the farmer, I'm going to get a big yield. Yeah. It's going to be worth my labor. Amen. So when you are getting the shaking of the Lord and you are going through it, I'm, I am distraught but not crushed. I'm persecuted but not forsaken. It's like that latter rain is coming and it's like, okay, I'm going to get something here. I'm going to receive a promise and it's going to be the death of Jesus on the cross of my soul so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in my body. <laughs> this is a hard word. Yeah. 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is in you. Wow. I think that, oh, thank you. I think New King James says it a little differently, but I love it. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may 
also be manifest in our mortal flesh. Let's go to Romans 8. You might have been thinking of this verse in your mind as you were reading this. Romans 8, verse 9. Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Let me teach you my ways. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Yes? Galatians 2.20. We're talking about how the shaking of God on our soul allows us to live more in Jesus' own life. (laughs) Anybody know where Galatians is? Galatians. Galatians 2.20. You have it memorized, but here we go. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live to the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. We have manifest the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus would reveal itself through us. It's not, I am borrowing the breath of God so that I can have my spirit man live. It is, I have given up. I have given up my soul. I have given up my spirit. I have given up my flesh so that his own life would be in me. And praise God, he breathed my spirit and we've been connected back to one. But lordship means that I surrender. Kingship means that it is not my life, but you who live through me. And I'm just doing what a good servant does. Yeah? Go to 1 John 5. First John 5. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's in Colossians. This is at the very end of 1 John. Like, right at the end. So if you see 2 John, you're in the right place. 1 John 5, verse 20. And we know. Say that. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. What was Micah prophesying? That in the latter days, the mountain of God will be higher than all of the other mountains, and there will be many nations that come to know him and to know his ways. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. What did Hosea say? Let us know. Let us pursue him because he will come to us as the rains, as the spring and as the latter rain. 
Okay, so we know that God, that, I'm sorry, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God, and he is eternal life. You see it? We are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God, and he is eternal life. He is the life. And now it makes sense because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's his own life. It's his own life within you. It's his very essence in you. It's his very spirit taking over your spirit. It's his very spirit taking over your soul and believing that whether in this age or in the age to come, his spirit is going to overtake your flesh. (laughs) That's your hope. That the spirit of God would overtake this flesh that withers away. And I would have the spirit of God in my spirit, the spirit of God in my soul, and the spirit of God in my flesh that brings life to every part of my body. Yeah, this is a little deeper than I normally go, but it's true, right? It's at the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians that he gives that promise All right, 1 Thessalonians 5:23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. What is sanctify? That is the work that Jesus does by his spirit on your soul and on your flesh. That is the work that he's doing. He is working out your salvation, it says in Philippians. It's the sanctifying work of God, making what is unholy, holy. Your spirit man has been made holy and righteous before God, but now he's working out all that is profane in the flesh. (laughs) Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and your whole soul and your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you to this is faithful. He will surely do it. (laughs) I'm not lying. He speaks the truth. Hebrews 7. It's the divine life of Jesus that you live by in the Spirit of God. It is the divine life of Jesus that the latter rains truly bring. A revelation, an understanding that it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7. <clears throat> we are uh, in verse 21, but I just want to read the, the, um, the reference of the psalm. So we're in 21b. Do you see that where it says the Lord has sworn? All right. So Hebrews 7, 21. Here we go. The Lord has sworn 
and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This is God talking to his son through King David. <laughs> this is God talking about his son Jesus through King J David, a prophet, seer, whatever you want to say. In the presence of God, he was seeing a vision, and this is what he was prophesying, and he sees God swearing to his son next to him that you are a priest forever. So verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor. I can't say that. The guarantor. Guarantor. I almost said guarantee. The guarantor of a better covenant. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost as those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant, the guarantee of this better covenant. Keep going. Verse 26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests from before, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself that was on the cross. For the law, that's the former law of Moses, appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. He's been made perfect forever. <laughs> He's been made perfect forever. He is the guarantee because he holds the office permanently. His blood is ever living. It's ever flowing. It's ever moving through his veins right now. His blood is perfect. And when you say, it says in Corinthians, that you are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. It says that, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's actually in Ephesians, I think. Ephesians 5, where they're talking about the husband and the wife becoming one flesh. And Paul says that, well, in the same way, the church is flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. Where is blood created? Where is blood created? In the marrow of your bones. If you are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, that's why people say the blood of Jesus is in you. It's no longer my life, but it is his own life. Flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, blood of his blood. That takes faith. That doesn't make sense. But it's the truth for those who believe. And because he is the guarantee of this better covenant, he is the one, he's the testator who gives you this inheritance of life and life everlasting of eternal life forever. 
Because he takes you into that place and says, okay, if you can come through me, come through the sacrifice of my blood, give it all away. If you can carry the death of Jesus, of your soul, the death of Jesus on your flesh, then you will manifest the life of his own spirit. <laughs> and you're like, well, who will minister that to me? Himself the high priest of our faith. You can't do it on your own. He puts his hands on you and does it himself. And I have a baptism and how I long until the earth is kindled with the fire of my baptism. Yeah? Yes. Amen? So this is the word today. So let's stand and pray. And if you have need, we're up here for prayer. And we love to pray for you. If you have a word for Brinson, or you'd like to encourage him before he goes this week, feel free. He's up here. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you and I honor you, Lord, that your divine life, the hope of glory, Christ in me, truly living by the Spirit, that we would be men and women of the Spirit and known as such. We know that that's the shaking God. We know that's the latter rain that we're asking for. Why not right now when we're marked by the hand of the Holy Spirit? And I thank you, Jesus, for it. I ask for revelation. I ask for true understanding. I ask for the depths and the richness of it to be revealed to us. I ask for it to be a spiritual understanding to the depths of our spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by the Garden Gathering Church, a family of spirit-filled believers in San Angelo, Texas. We long to encounter God's presence and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If you'd like to find out more, go to www.thegardenstc.org to realize how the revelation of Jesus Christ can fulfill your mandate in the kingdom of heaven.